1: Are you tired of the endless stream of fantasy marketing and vanity metrics? Yeah, so am I. My name is James Patrick and I'm an internationally published photographer, media specialist and marketing strategist. I'm also a student of professional development and like you, I've been left frustrated by all of this influencer-driven generic advice making us think that we are just one course, conference or manifestation away from the life of our dreams. We need to cut through this crap and move beyond the posturing, beyond the facade, beyond the image to take real action on the real work that will create the real results. This is the Beyond the Image podcast. My guest today is Teresa Houghton. She's the chief nerd. I, I, I want to know what that means. Chief nerd. You are the chief nerd at Modern Health Nerd. I'd love to know. Well, how did you come up with that?
0: Well, I will try to give you the condensed version because it's kind of a long trajectory, but I am definitely a self proclaimed nerd mm-hmm. i I went vet like flexitarian when I was in my teens then I went full vegetarian and then I went full what most people refer to as vegan i call plant based um and along that trajectory, I got really interested in how food is connected with health. And so that brought me just from a nerd who liked to read and write a lot and learn things to a nerd who liked to read and write a lot and learn things about health. Then I connected with a business coach early 2020. I had been doing some writing, unfortunately, through a content mill, Uh, managed to get out of that. Mm -hmm. But thanks to this business coach, I merged kind of my interest in health and my interest in writing into this marketing business. And And as we were talking right before we started recording, my business, my business coach encouraged me to put founder on my LinkedIn profile and I tried it and it just, it didn't fit me. Nerd fits Mm -hmm. me better. So I thought, yeah, chief nerd. And, you know, I'm a solopreneur, so it's just me. So I get to be chief, whatever I want, I guess.
1: (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because there's, there's a fascinating dichotomy between how you're positioning yourself and what, we would think of historically as being related to the, I'll, I'll call it the fitness industry, but, you know, health industry be, being a part of that or fitness being a part of the health industry of, you know, those being, you know, health and fitness fanatics and those being self proclaimed nerds or or those being labeled as nerds might be on two ends of the spectrum here, but you're all of a sudden saying, no, there's a Venn diagram here and I'm right in the middle of this Venn diagram. Um, I, I'm just kind of curious as to like, any more like thoughts on, on the brand positioning of that? Cause it is fairly unique uh, to, to kind of play in both camps.
0: Well, it's been a journey and I think brand, I think brand positioning is a journey for everybody. You start out with an idea of, okay, this is where I am. And then as you work a little bit more through the space and you meet people and you do some work with clients, you realize what you're comfortable with, what you're good at and your brand starts to mature and evolve so I, I basically, my branding has been through a journey of its own. I tried a lot of different things. Uh, LinkedIn was kind of where I started out. I tried a lot of different things, but I think it comes down to really being yourself online. Uh, there are other people who advocate for this, but it really comes down to not stifling your personality behind behind best practices, you know, following things that are good frameworks, but not letting it suck the personality out of what you do. I mean, if you're a nerd, be a nerd. If you are a fitness fanatic, be a fanatic uh, in a controlled way, of course. And that's really how I position my brand is just trying to be who I am offline, online. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there's something that,
1: Because you are just being so uh, matter of fact about it, it it catches people off guard, especially when they see it for the first time and they see like a job title being, you know, chief nerd. When we're used to seeing, you know, uh, chief operating officer, CMO, uh, CFO, uh, you know, CEO, whatever we're, you know, C level suite, we're choosing to to dub ourselves, Um, and it's it's noticeable. And because it's noticeable, it becomes remarkable, worth making a remark about. Um, And I feel like so often what we do, particularly early on within our careers, regardless of what our career is, is we try to model what we do or how we do it or our methodology or approach based off what someone else is doing that might be successful. Okay. You mentioned best practices. Well, how do best practices become best practices? Well, by lots of people doing them over and over and over again. And thus, it's hard for a best practice to stand out. When you think about it, if you're emulating the best practices of another entrepreneur or business, you're not going to be any different from that entrepreneur or business because you've emulated their entire methodology. There's nothing unique or different or or separate about, about your approach. So I'm you know, kind of leaning off of that, how did you kind of embody this? You know, I mean, you're a nerd in real life, you wanted to. You know, honor that within within your professional life. Are there other ways that you incorporated that into the work that that you do?
0: Well, one of the core ways that I'm a nerd is I'm a writer, and that involves a lot of learning and digging into things, and I like to chase rabbit trails. I was very fortunate early on in my journey with modern health nerd to work with a company that sells functional mushroom supplements. Now, being a health nerd, we're talking, this is like high level nerdity. I'm spending my time working for this company, literally scooting around PubMed, reading scientific papers, looking at books about functional mushrooms. I was in my element. So that sort of thing really goes into the work that I do for clients is taking that desire to learn things and pouring it into the either content that I write. I've also done some customer research and like audience research for brands. And it's interesting because prior to this, I was actually a health coach for a while. That was part of my health nerd trajectory. And I find that the process of being a health coach, looking at someone's health intake and their food journals and their symptoms, there is a moment where all of this disparate information just clicks and you're like, wait, they don't have 37 different problems. They have one or two core problems. And the same thing happens in the content space, still being a nerd, either when you are researching someone's audience and you find the characteristics that make them a unique audience and make them uh, clear to the client so that they can market to them better. Or when you're pulling an article together, there's that same click moment. And that is on my end, the moment I really enjoy. So I bring the nerdity of the deep dives, the nerdity of chasing rabbit trails, and then that click moment when I bring it all together.
1: I love that you call it the
0: nerdity. I'm not sure if I coined that, but if somebody else coined that, just let me know and I'll give you credit.
1: <laughs> I would just take it. I, I had never heard it before, but it, it's nice because y- you're, you're leveraging what makes You you as a unique differentiator and really a value added to your prospective clients like I'll do the nerding for you, you know, you turn the word nerd into a verb all of a sudden, and it it immediately conjures up exactly what the deliverable is it's like oh okay well yeah this person obviously. It 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 makes sense. She loves to research and she loves to pour through the data and she loves to, um, you know, congregate different different fact points together and make this easy for us non nerds to understand it because you know we don't have the time or the energy or really you know we look at these documents and it's like chloroform was thrown in our face and we're completely clueless. But Teresa, she's she's the person who can help us navigate this and I think that's it, it's so beautiful how how it's been designed. I'm curious, you know, before you were to launch this, I know you mentioned this was kind of over the course of 2020 and working with the business coach and trying to establish um a position that that stood out or was worth making a remark about. Did you have any, I don't know, any fears or hesitations or concerns like, well, I don't know, because the word nerd Although is being used a lot now with a positive context in marketing, like you have companies like like NerdWallet, uh, which is, you know, obviously leveraging this idea that, hey, we're we're a whole bunch of of nerds who are gonna do all the research in relation to finances for you. Um, and we'll know more than you. So trust us. Um, but were there any like concerns that well, I don't know, what if that what if that does push away a target audience or what if that does give the wrong impression on me i don't know i'm just curious if you had kind of any of those inner inner dialogues
0: you know the hesitation did not come from any of that i mean i grew up a nerd and so that kind of tells you what my school life was like i had a bunch of friends who were also nerds and we were not popular but that was okay because we got each other you know Mm -hmm. and we had that kind of i hesitate to use the word posse but i suppose since we were a bunch of teenagers i can throw it out there and say we had Mm -hmm. that posse it was it was more so I had been doing the content mill writing for longer than I had wanted to, but believe it or not, I was actually being, bringing in enough money to live on doing that. That's almost impossible, but uh, basically by the grace of God, I would manage to do that. And I was terrified of letting that go. I was like, but if I don't do this anymore, where is my certainty going to come from? And it was largely with the help of my business coach to... Encourage me and I tell people he was one of those people you get off of a call with him and you're like yes I can do this even if you were terrified to do it before (laughs) you got on the call so that was very helpful but as far as the nerd thing is concerned the way I approach it and honestly I think the way that anybody who creates content or is positioning some kind of a brand should look at it is if people are going to not align with the way that you work, the things that you bring, the personality, if if they're basically going to want to stifle your personality and ostensibly the talents that flow from that personality, do you really want to work with them? It's You're not going to be able to help them the way that they want to be helped if your approach and your personality and you know your own inherent nerdity is completely at odds with what they want to do. I mean, I I could never do something super straight like a super straight-lace government type job or that that would never work for me. Um I've, you know, I've tried the more straight-lay stuff and it's like why am I here? <laughs> mm. So so it's it's more like um I I guess it it goes down to like that thousand true fans model that gets mm. uh tossed around a lot and I think that there's a lot of validity to that is you know the people who align with the value that you're providing are the people that you can best serve, and that you're really going to want to serve.
1: I think so many of us go through phases of uh, of accepting this because what you it, it is it's true, but it's hard to. It's hard to agree with it at the early stages because the priority at the early stages is survival, which means getting your first few clients. And you're willing to yeah. basically do anything, including molding yourself to fit a client's perception of, of who you should be. and it's only after you get a handful of clients who you either you and the client aren't a, aren't a match or the work itself isn't a match or the relationship just is it's it's more of a an emotional drain than a financial benefit that's when you start to realize that you can be a little bit more selective and a little bit more um honest about who you are and what it is that you actually want and i think sometimes we just have to kind of go through those those phases because it's easy for you know you or me to just say uh, it you know it, it it is about standing out it is about you know honing in on who you are not what other people are that's just real scary for a lot of people and you know uh back in <clears throat> i think it was 2020 maybe it's 2020 no, that's it 2020 um i did a whole per, uh kind of personal branding uh push where i i bought these shirts that said imposter on it. And I took all these photos of me wearing the shirt that said imposter. And I did all these videos where said, I'm an imposter. And the reason I did that was I was trying to shine light on this kind of like inherent belief that all of us do not deserve to do the work that we're doing. And we think it's unique to us you know, I'm not good enough, you know, my background, if if you're not familiar, I'm, I was a photographer for still am uh, now going on 21 years, you know, who am I to pick up a camera? You know, who's going to want to buy my, my photo work? Or who am I to start my own podcast? Or who am I to start a blog? Or who am I to publish a magazine? Or who am I to write a book? Or who am I to speak at this conference? Or, you know, the list goes on and on, you know, I, I don't have enough experience or enough credentials or enough, whatever. And the truth of the matter is, You know, the world did not need another photographer when I picked up a camera. They didn't need another podcast host. They didn't need another book on a shelf. They didn't need any of the things that I spent the time to do. But because I spent the time to do them, they were created, and thus people were able to to dictate whether they wanted or not. And and fortunately, lots of things that were created, people chose to consume. But the reality is, is I was an imposter this whole time. I was an imposter when I picked up the camera. I was an imposter when I started recording and I just wanted to normalize this. It's okay. It's okay to be an imposter. Imposter syndrome should not be seen as a negative. It just means, yeah, I'm figuring it out. And and it was kind of this this push to redefine it. And that was just me trying to shed light on this thing that so many of us are are really experiencing. And I and I love that you were able to kind of peel back these layers for yourself in regards to really this establishment of who you are and what makes you unique in the marketplace and who it is you want to be working with and the types of relationships you want to have with your clients using that kind of as as a stepping off one of the fears that comes up a lot when we talk to people about being willing to kind of peel back these layers on themselves and share more about themselves is is there a line and what is the line between because we've all seen the people who it's almost like they're just kind of a little too personal, like, like maybe a little bit of an overshare. And so many of us are not near that line, to be clear. Like we're we're so far behind this line that we think is one step away. But what is the approach to determine what about myself is okay to kind of share or incorporate in my brand? And what's maybe, you know, best kept just to myself. And this 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 doesn't have really a client facing value to it.
0: I think it's a bit of trial and error. Um, there are going to be some things, obviously, that you're not going to want to share. In certain cases, for example, depending on the industry that you're in, depending on who you're serving and how public you can be safely, if you have, like, mm. a family and a bunch of kids, you might not be wanting to talk about them online or share their pictures. However, in some other industry where it's totally safe and maybe, like, I come, I work in, like, food and beverage uh, with like food and beverage brands. And some of them cater to families, they cater to kids. And in that case, well, yeah, then sharing your family and kids and that you're a dad or a mom or whatever, that's going to be appropriate. So some of it's going to be the industry you're in. And of course, like a level of safety, depending on on what work you do. And I think overall, it is just trial and error. There is an unfortunate tendency in our social media saturated world for people to attempt to be inauthentically authentic. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of swinging of the pendulum from this obsession with wins and, you know, let's go rocket ship emoji. And the other end where people are like, failure is real. Here are all of mine. Mm -hmm. And it's striking a balance between those wins and losses, being willing to admit that you have strengths and weaknesses, and just being being willing to share with people things that are going to be truly authentic without kind of being hyperbolic about it Mm -hmm. and without without doing it in a way that looks like you're fishing for validation because that's another pitfall that I think a lot of us go into and I think sometimes behind the scene part of the problem with imposter syndrome is like this inherent human need to be validated in whatever and sometimes that's not something that's wrong and sometimes it is there are like attitudes or approaches where if you're out there being open and honest quote-unquote and looking for validation in something that is harmful or negative, that's definitely something you want to check. It will it will evolve over time too, as you get into conversations with people. And like you said, work with more people and get to know your audience more. What's appropriate will come to light.
1: I think a great question we can be asking ourselves is who is the content serving? Because if the content we're producing is is only serving ourselves Then it is for validation. It is for vanity. It is because we want to see how many people are sending us their kudos or their or, or their sympathies or, you know, whatever it is. And it's so funny. There are these extremes and it seems like people vacillate kind of back and forth between them. Like here's all the amazing accomplishments I've had. And, oh, I just want, you to know, I'm human too. Here's a list of things that I've messed up on. Um, And it feels it doesn't feel human. It feels it feels calculated. Um, And I think that's the part that I'm I, I myself am trying to trying to navigate. I mean, the ethos of this entire show is how do we push past what is on the surface, whether it's the facade of success and what that looks like on social media because we're we're overwhelmed with that and and like someone had shared with me a quote from this business coach and they were calling people who make excuses cute ways to quit and i don't know like i get really kind of snarky and pissed off at these kind of all or nothing business coaches who you know don't have lived such a gloriously privileged life but aren't willing to give anyone the benefit of the doubt that life may be hard or difficult or they might not have the same circumstances or resources whatever um but it just felt so callous and 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 character driven and it didn't feel real, and it's this balance you said, and it's kind of testing things out, but there is this 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 kind of sense that okay who am I here to serve? And is this content actually helping them? Or is this in a place of trying to gloat or or, or even in this attempt to humanize myself? So do you have any advice on like how to craft or, or create content that is audience driven or is leading with the value, even though you're using yourself as a subject matter in your personal stories and your narratives? But to to shift in a way that this is to benefit someone else other than myself.
0: Well, I have a few thoughts on this. Some of them are still kind of emerging. Some of them are kind of embryonic thoughts. When I first started doing this, I was very much on the, the SEO, the KPI, let's rank, let's play the Google algorithm game that's we talked about best practices that's what i was learned i learned that's what i was taught that's what all the marketing best practice gurus say and it's what all of the marketing courses say and there's some validity to obviously if you have a brand with products you want those pages to rank and following those things in that case is very useful but when it comes down to content creation what i see happening and what has driven me to think differently about this is people will start to chase keywords and they will not think more about like what we were just saying, the more personal and the more human. And there is a danger in letting, just letting the audience be the leader. There was a fantastic article that came out over the summer called the perils of audience capture. Um, And it talked about how when you take only the signals from your audience and make that your driver, your audience shapes you. And instead of you being the personality behind your content, the expectations of the audience who responds, which is going to be a much smaller fraction of your audience than your actual existing audience, because there's always a lot of lurkers, starts to shape your content starts to shape your brand, and can ostensibly even change you into a completely different person in real life, which is dangerous. Mm -hmm. So being aware of that, I think there needs to be a balance between what you put out and how you respond to people's requests, expectations, and their reactions. I have come to believe that there is really inherent value in sharing what each of us has in terms of a personal story, experience. Um, a lot. There are a lot of food and beverage brands whose their whose founders started the company for a specific reason, and these stories are very interesting. And these things resonate and connect with audiences because these are very human things. So if you're somebody who comes from a certain country and your product, say, contains a grain or a fruit or some kind of ingredient that is inherent to that country and has this great cultural heritage, people who are interested in that and who are interested in preserving that those are going to be the people who congregate around that. That's just one example. But also like, if you look at the newsletter uh, economy that's been springing up around Substack, a lot of people are sharing their experiences, their own personal essays, even just like their day to day, like it's a journal and it gets other people very active around it. Because if you think back to when we used to do a lot of personal blogging, like late 90s, early 2000s, what drew us to each other? It was that we were sharing things that were relatable. And so I would say that the best way to approach it from where I'm standing right now, this is going to evolve as I continue to think about this and work on it, is to think about who is this going to connect with? And like you said, in that way, it's going to serve other people because it's going to be helpful to them in some way, either because it's going to be like, oh, I thought I was the only one who felt that way. You feel that way too. This is amazing. Or it's going to be something else that speaks to something that's important to them. And that's going to allow them to enter the conversation. And really, that's how communities start. You don't go out and say, I'm going to build a community. It it happens organically. So that's all tied up together, I think.
1: You brought up a a really interesting point, which is it's easy to, I guess, fall into this rhythm of allowing your audience to dictate what you model to them. And, uh, you know, I've certainly been guilty of that before, of believing there are certain expectations of this brand. And I now have to live those expectations or at least show that I'm living those expectations in, you know, it, you know, in my social media profile. I I had this idea of what I I of this reel I wanted to do because I kept seeing all these reels of these successful entrepreneurs and business coaches, you know, walking up with their set of keys and unlocking their their gorgeous Maserati or Audi or, um, you know, fill in the blank of, you know, Audacious Car. And I wanted to do that. And walk up to you know a really nice let's say a lamborghini but as i click the button on my keys it's not the lamborghini that lights up it's my beat-up subaru forester with a crack in the windshield behind the lamborghini that's the one that lights up uh the one that's caked in dirt because i just got back from camping um I was like, that would say more about my personality than than I think anything else. But I've been guilty of of these like kind of vanity-driven posts. I was like, I have to appear a certain way because business coaches appear a certain way. I have to dress a certain way because business coaches dress a certain way, or I have to take this photo looking off to the left as if someone is over there. You know, it was character-driven, um, and it wasn't until I started to strip that out of my of my communications that people really started to get a sense of of the real me now the thing that helped me was having platforms that allowed me the space to communicate in a different uh or or or, or much more intimate way so like my podcast being a prime example uh, i do like a live video show once a week um you know, people that have come to my events or conferences, it's easy for them to see my ethos. Uh, that is much harder to capture in a 30-second reel. Um, what recommendations or advice would you give to people who are trying to find the right medium in which to craft and communicate the stories of their brand? Because I do believe the the medium can, can hold a lot of sway over how much attention we're, we're getting from our audience.
0: I would say, what medium are you good at and what are you comfortable in? I will, I can use myself as an example. I am and have always been a writer. Like before I could physically write, I told a bunch of stories as a little kid. And then I spent a significant chunk of my young years and my teens and early twenties writing a bunch of stuff. The idea of like releasing a bunch of videos has no appeal for me. I do not do well when I get in front of a camera. I, despite not being terrified of public speaking, I'm a former Toastmaster, um, for something about the camera's running. And then you think, oh God, then I have to edit this video. And then I have to post this video. And then I have to deal with YouTube. And it's like this, it's like, oh. But then there are, like, I, I worked with a client early on who was just he was so jazzed about video that he wound up pivoting his brand to doing like TikTok marketing for local companies. He loved video. He had like a drone and loved to shoot, you know, overhead videos with his drone. So for him, video was the medium. So wherever I think you do really well, that's where you're going to shine. You can try to do whatever platform like The best practices say is necessary for your industry, but if (laughs) you are not comfortable with it, that's going to come through Mm -hmm. and you'll do much better releasing content. That is high quality based on your own strengths. than you will trying to push into something that you're told you should push into.
1: We had this. um, I'm not going to say who, and I'm not going to say where they presented. I'm just going to say a social media manager. Um, presented at something I was involved in. And she was trying to encourage one of our attendees that he had to be on TikTok. And kudos to him because he's like, why? I don't I don't think my audience is on TikTok. Why should I be on TikTok? And and the the response, which totally shit the bed was, well you'd be surprised. Mm, I don't think you would. I think here's an individual who Knows who he is and very clearly knows who his audience is. And I can say without question, his audience is not on TikTok. They think it's a breath mint. <laughs> so, yeah, if you lean into what you like to do, chances are it's what the audience you're trying to approach likes as well. Like, I love long form discussions. I'm not going to really jive with people who need everything condensed into 30 seconds. It's just not my audience. And that's okay. It's not for them. They don't need to consume it. That's all right. And that's kind of like the, this goes back to what you're saying earlier, which is what we create is not for everyone. And we need to accept that. And I think so many of us, we'll go a little bit into the direction that we need to go with our brand, but then we stop or we pull back or we take our foot off the gas just a little bit. Cause we don't want to go all the way in, um, you know, cause that, that might define us too much. And, and the way I look at it is if, if you don't have edges that are defining you, then you have nothing that defines you. It's, it's now very easy to, to overlook you. So are there any ways that you would, implore encourage people to understand that it's not about mass numbers for so many of us this is about these these micro relationships and and micro transactions and micro advancements within building this brand this is not like overnight success and all of a sudden you're gonna you know generate seven figures just by opening your email one day because you you did a post that was authentic um what, what's this path look like realistically just to set some expectations?
0: It's going to be a little different for everybody because mm-hmm. as you said, there's different mediums, there's different brands, there's different industries. It is going to take a lot of experimentation and it requires the ability to be okay with that because in experimentation, you're going to fail a lot more than you succeed. Mm-hmm. But Uh, I follow a uh, fitness content creator named Millionaire Hoy, and he often says failure is not the same as failing. When you Mm -hmm. have a failure, something doesn't work. That doesn't mean that you have ultimately failed. It just means this particular part did not work. And you Mm -hmm. can learn from that. So it's going to be a continual cycle of experimenting, learning, falling down, getting up, reincorporating... And it's going to take a while. It's not going to, like you said, be overnight. It's not even going to be a few weeks. I mean, yes, there are ways that you can quote unquote 10X your audience. There are ways that you can quote unquote build a six-figure business in 90 days. I'm really skeptical of a lot of that. And I don't say this to be unkind to people who have done that in, in ways that are legit. I'm skeptical of that because I wonder, is this all on the up and up? You know, How exactly do you do this? Or... Are you talking about, I built a six-figure business in 90 days because I poured it over my audience of a million followers from over here that I spent 20 years building, mm-hmm. being a little hyperbolic there. But it is going to take more in the trajectory of years than weeks or months. But every time you learn something, that's going to push you forward. And one thing I like to relate is for me, I have a tendency to conflate failure and failing. I think I hit this wall. This isn't working. There's something wrong with me. This isn't going to work. When the reality is I hit this wall because I don't know how to take the next step. You learn to take the next step and you can keep going. So just having that mindset will allow you to keep going on that trajectory.
1: It's absolutely spot on because it's one, this is expanding the timeline. And and two, I, I see so many people stopping too soon or or pulling back too early or shifting strategies too quickly. You know, well, you know, I've been trying this for like a week and my likes have gone down. So obviously this doesn't work. I'm like, well, maybe you're getting rid of the wrong people. Like, oh, some people have been unfollowing me. Were they buying from you? And if the answer (laughs) is no, then- Fine, good, good. Now, now your two percent of your content or audience engagement is going to actually be the right two percent—the two percent who need to see your content, not people who are just you know lurking in the background and never going to purchase anything from you. Um, But once again, it's just it's easy for us to say this because we've we've had this in practice uh, for years. And and what I'm hearing is just really an implorement and encouragement to listeners that they have to start trying things. And start navigating it. Like, I mean, I look at you know this will be episode four hundred and sixty something 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 of this show, and it's like that's a lot of reps on 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 a microphone. And you know, before this show, I had another show that went about five hundred episodes. There have been a few, uh, you know, hundred hours on a microphone. Um, you know, the first I don't know hundred episodes were were pretty shit. Um, but we we had to release them because that's how we got to the next nine hundred episodes. And you know, I was I was talking to one of my clients, and they were like, you know, oh, my microphone was not really great my first episode, but I got it I got it worked out for the second episode. So now I have great audio. I'm like, shit. My microphone was broken the first 50 episodes. And back when I started podcasting, that made me sound old. Back when I started podcasting, we didn't have Zoom. So I had to drive out to people I wanted to interview. Uh, I remember like driving out to LA from Phoenix to interview Jamie Eason for a podcast um, because she was at some conference in LA and we were able to get her for like one hour. uh, And we had two microphones synced into the computer via usb not realizing that you can't plug two usb's microphones into a computer and actually have the computer record them at the right speed so the one microphone didn't work really at all created this crazy like uh, ghosting effect with the audio because we weren't running it through a mixer board you know because i'm not a I'm, i'm not a tech savvy person so to get her audio we had to pull her audio from my microphone so she sounds like she's across the room because guess what she is we released that and guess what it did just fine in fact it was one of our top downloaded episodes we've ever had the point is is you got to get through the stuff that's not working or has not worked or has has not lived up to expectations so you can create the stuff that does and it's just like i think we're just so gun shy about being seen as a failure that we're not willing to fail at all to to succeed
0: Yeah, I think I think you really hit on something there. As part of being a writer, I have been learning things about the craft of writing to better myself in this, learning a lot about the fact that the school system needs to stop making us read silly books throughout our middle school career and teach us things about the English language that we actually need to know, because then you become an adult and you're like, why don't I know this? Because nobody taught me. So in reading all of that stuff that I've been reading, one of the things that has been pointed out is what do you see most often? Like if you look at great writers or great anybody, great movie makers, great musicians, whatever, you see the final product. What happened behind the scenes? Lots of what you were just talking about, those, those reps over and over and over. And fitness is a really good uh, uh, analogy for this. You don't walk up to the barbell your first time in the gym and deadlift half a car. Hmm. You just don't. You deadlift the bar if you're lucky. If it's an Olympic bar, you might deadlift the safety bar that's like 10 pounds, but you do more reps and you can lift heavier and you develop, you develop like a resiliency too. And I think that that ports over to this whole discussion is you do develop a resiliency instead of going, that didn't work. I'm a failure. You go, Oh, that didn't work. Let's try something else. And then people, people in your audience can look back too and see how far you've come and say, wow, you know, that was good, but this is great. And now this is coming into excellent. And when you have an audience that's willing to grow with you too, like you said, if your likes go down, well, maybe those are the people who aren't willing to grow with you. And the people who stick around the longest are really going to be who your community is.
1: Yeah, I've never had anyone say that the reason they're unwilling to work with me is because of the audio quality of my podcast or the, you know, uh, my first YouTube videos were in 720 and not 1080 or, you know, I mean, whatever it is, you know, fill in the blank or I had, there was a typo in my first book that I dropped. All right. And that's why they're not going to hire me. Um, That's not, that conversation has never happened. And listeners of my show know that, Um, I've shared this story, but you haven't heard it, Teresa. So I'll share it with you. Uh, I was once given this presentation on website architecture and a group of 50 or so in the audience. Uh, I don't really know any of these individuals, but I, there's this one guy I can't stop looking. I see him in the front row, his arms are crossed and he just has this fuck you stamped right on his forehead. And I, the whole time I'm, like, in my head worried about what the hell is this guy pissed about? Like, is he also in marketing? Does he know more than me? Does he disagree with my theory? Is he going to dispute my recommendations or my advice I'm trying to dispense upon this audience? So the entire hour-long presentation, I'm just trying to get him to smile, to to nod his head to basically give me a is something right. Some affirmation. Um, And I I think by the end of the presentation, I got, I got a, mm, you know, I'm like, all right, I'll take that as a victory. Um, You know, turns out I talked to some of the other presenters. Turns out he was kind of an asshole in every presentation room had nothing to do with us. Uh, Who knows what he was mad about, but all these excuses that I made in my head were false narratives. Not true. Here's the problem, though. I spent an hour trying to get this guy to like me, or at least to nod his head in affirmation of of my genius. What I did, however, was I robbed the other 49 people in that room who were here to see me speak. They were robbed. This is what happens... I believe when we're trying to shave off the edges, when we're trying to appease the person who gives us that one-star review or the person who doesn't like what we just posted on social media and we feel we need to defend ourselves or, or the work. And, and we put all of our time and energy into this group of people who have never purchased from us, will never purchase from us, and are just signaling to us we're never going to buy from you why are we wasting so much time? Why are we ignoring the other 49 people in the room? And that was a hard lesson uh, for me to learn. And and I think, you know, this this conversation has been such a poignant reminder of who these conversations are for and why it's important to have these conversations.
0: Yeah, I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier about not letting your audience shape you too much. I mean, Mm -hmm. their opinions obviously are important to an extent, but if you've got that one person who's always basically the troll, I don't know if they still say this, but earlier on in in my internet days, we say don't feed the troll. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not, if you are not giving credence to the one, it's not even just the one dissenting voice, it's the one person who feels the need to be a, basically a pain all the time if you're not giving credence to them they're not getting the validation they're seeking and you know they'll they'll go and it comes i think it comes back to uh, i'm a big seth godin fan it comes back to what he says all the time and you kind of alluded to this earlier is there's just some people it's not your stuff is not for you know seth Mm -hmm. godin says it's not for them you know you're reaching out and you're saying i made this for you and the people who appreciate that that's who it's for
1: Absolutely, Teresa. This has been absolutely delightful. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and and the work that you're doing with your brand?
0: Well, they can go <laughs> as we've been talking about personal branding. I'm not on socials right now. I completely quit for a while just to see where things go with that. That's part Good of my branding you. journey. So, uh, you will not find me active on the socials. But you can go straight to my website, which is modernhealthnerd.com. I also have a Substack where I am posting personal essays and deep nerdy dives into various literally various ideas that come into my head to chase around those rabbit trails and that is continuedjourney.substack.com I should yeah somebody recommended getting a domain for it I think I probably will so those are the two places where you can connect with me see what I'm doing and see both the business and the personal ends of my writing And also, I am a member of the online collective Foster, which is foster.co. So if you have any writing or content of that ilk that you would like to have edited by a bunch of humans who appreciate authentic human content, I am among that collective.
1: Oh, that's awesome. All right. We're going to make sure all those links in the show notes. Teresa, thank you so much for
0: being on the show. Well, thanks for having me, James. It's always fun to, to nerd out with others.
1: thank you so much for listening to the Beyond the Image podcast. Please follow, like, and review wherever you happen to listen to the show. And if you want to connect to me, you can find me at jamespatrick.com, Instagram at jpatrickphoto, or you can text me any of your marketing questions to 480-605-3254. Thanks again.